as we continue our series on characters and character. We look at these people and the stories of people in depth, something happens. We look almost too closely and we see how really broken people are and in some ways really messed up. The other thing that we see is how amazing um, the mark of our Creator is on the nature of humanity as well. And the truth about character is that ultimately it can't be hidden. Like a tree that it's fed and watered, it will grow and it will break up concrete, it will grow out from under a house, turn up sidewalks. Trees that are growing will move in directions that you just don't expect them to just to get to the sunlight, just to do what is intrinsic, what comes naturally to it. It will bear itself out. In other words, really, when it comes to character, what's on the inside will ultimately be revealed to the outside. The Bible frequently uh, talks about this, Proverbs 10.9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Ecclesiastes 12.14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, Tyler, every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Scary, huh? Luke 8 said, Jesus said, For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Again, Jesus says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing that will not be known or brought out into the open. So pretty much everything that's in us is going to get out eventually. Now, what if we thought of this not as a threat, but as a promise. What if the weakness that we see are really strengths carried to excess, or qualities that simply were left unattended? That's one way to describe it, because some of the best virtues carried to excess can really be broken and messed up. So today, today let's consider Gehazi. He is a servant or assistant to the prophet Elisha. Elisha was called by God and his ministry was much different than that of the prophet Elijah. Elijah, you'll remember, had Mount Carmel moments. He had these great um, seasons where some of the biggest miracles of the Old Testament seem to have been done by Elijah calling down fire from heaven, that has to be monumental. But the prophet Elisha, a little quieter, but so many more miracles. In fact, when you compare Elisha to Elijah, Elisha has so many moments where God interposes grace in his glorious power through that prophet to bless and help people. Gehazi seems to be very watchful, seems to be helpful, a good assistant, a decent person. 
In the story of the woman of Shunem, you'll recall that she and her husband built a guest room for the prophet. And the prophet asks, what should be done for her? Well, he turns to his assistant and he looks and asks his assistant, what do we do for her? Gehazi observes that she is without a son and offers a suggestion. She has no son. See what you can do about that. <laughs> you want people like this on your team, don't you? People who can observe a situation and offer a good suggestion and be helpful. Good suggestion, Gehazi. Nicely done. But this story also reveals snapshots of Gehazi that warn that while on the outside everything seems to be functioning well, on the inside there are some things to be deeply concerned about. In the story where the, the miracle child uh, suddenly falls ill in the field and dies while working, the woman goes to Mount Carmel to find Elisha. Notice what 2 Kings chapter 4 reads. When he saw her, in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to her, meet her, and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Now, when you read this, the story, her response is a little confusing if you know a woman who has just lost her child. It's probably not all right. Her response, she states, everything is all right. But she's talking to Gehazi, not to Elisha. For some reason, she does not want to tell Gehazi the news, but only tell the news to Elisha. So when she approaches the prophet, she falls at his feet, but Gehazi tries to push her away and prevent her. But Elisha stops him and then learns what's really going on with her family. Upon hearing about the child, the prophet sends his servant Gehazi to lay his staff on the child's face so as to heal him. Gehazi does just that and boom, nothing happens. Maybe You've had one of those boom moments where you've prayed and nothing happened. A dear friend in the hospital, you pray, nothing happens. You pray in the name of Jesus, you confess your sins, you do the ABCs, there's all the formulas, but nothing happens. You praise and nothing happens. The boy is not alive, he reports back. In other words, I did what you said, nothing. But when Elisha finally goes in, the boy is restored to life. Do you ever wonder what just happened there? What was that all about? That whole scene. It begins to make sense when you consider the next story where Naaman, the captain of the Syrian army, becomes leprous. A servant suggests that he should see the prophet Elisha, 
And so this takes place. The prophet sends out a messenger. The captain is told to dip seven times in the river. And while this is problematic for the captain, he does it and it is healed, as was so perfectly depicted by our students this morning. Didn't they do a great job? The captain responds by offering a gift, money. But the prophet refuses the gift and sends him on his way. Great story. Should have ended right there, right? Mrs. Westman should have just stopped right there because then you have this great miracle and this moment and prophet's in good shape and this captain is in great shape. The girl is in good shape. Everything's fine until humanity and reality checks in. And Gehazi, real human story, is watching his master skip out on all of this money that he could get from a Gentile. That's right. Notice how the Scriptures report the story that we don't often tell when we put this in a children's book. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean. Do you hear it? He was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he has brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Do you hear what he just said? He takes the name of God and makes a claim, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm going to chase this guy down and get something from him. Now, I've heard cursing before. I've heard swear words. I've heard inappropriate language. But to invoke the name of God as a living, awesome God and then do exactly what is corrupt seems to be a bit, a bit of a challenge for me. So Gehazi hurries after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him, and guess what he asked? Is everything all right? What is it with that question in the Old Testament? Is everything all right? He asked, and guess what Gehazi says? Everything is all right. Why can't people just tell you what they're really thinking anymore? It's not all right. Gehazi asks for the money. Elisha refused and claims that it's for some students, maybe scholarship for music students. Who knows? We see the character of Gehazi fully blossom and bear fruit. Although this man served Elisha, he was a close and trusted advisor. He offers good ideas. And he was trusted to do many things. The corruption hinted at in the previous story turns into a gross display of dishonesty in the next. And as a result, Gehazi receives the reward of leprosy. What, what happened to him? Do you ever wonder what it is? I mean, if people are just so easily put in the good box and the bad box, then and I'm not comfortable with that. What 
really happened to this man. The disease is appropriate for it shows how on the inside something can destroy you first and eventually come out on the outside. I don't know if you know much about leprosy, but if um, it usually symptomatically starts with headaches. You just get headaches frequently. And then you start to lose energy. You, you get halfway through the morning and you just don't have what it takes to get through. You can't finish meals. You can't finish your sentences. You can't finish work. You can't seem to finish anything. You just get so tired. Some of you are looking like, oh no, I have leprosy. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but it's really a breakdown of the central nervous system. And, um, and eventually, after a while, it's not after a year or so that the spots start to show up, and this blossoms, and the sores emerge, and death becomes an eminent reality. In the New Testament, some scholars think that leprosy would take almost seven years to put you down, to fully form. So how does this happen? How does this happen to Gehazi? What happened to him? Perhaps it's just this one thing. Now, it might be more, but this is one thing that I've noticed. It may be that Gehazi began his ministry with Elisha. Um, he began it sincerely, and with good intentions and a good heart. He began it well. He was compelled by the great things God had displayed through the prophet Elisha. But little by little, and here lies the tragedy, the unusual became commonplace. The wonderful became ordinary. And the luster of that creative contact with God and that life that came as a result of it it was dulled and rusted and tarnished over time. He lost, maybe he just lost a sense of the supreme significance of God's grace being bestowed on people in those miraculous moments. And it's like life had been drained of all of its wonder by the repetition and the familiarity. Oh great, another miracle. Oh great, an axe head is floating. Oh great, food is made better. Oh great, someone is alive again. Now what? And I don't know if that's how he thought, but something slowly died in him while he's doing the routine. Does that, can that happen to us? It can happen to me. It lies in the fact that those things which should always be sacred tend to become commonplace. It, it ought to be the other way around. It, it ought to be that the commonplace in those moments that we do every day, we should look 
for the miraculous, that we should look for the grace, the glory, the power of God displayed in the everyday things. And sitting in Yosemite National Park, in this place where you cannot help but to witness how small you are and how great God is there. And I'm sitting there looking at the ground with a bunch of children, and right at my feet is an ant, a tiny ant, carrying around a fly about five times its size. Let me show you what I videoed, and tell me if you can't see something marvelous here. There is the little ant, and he's carrying around a fly, and this fly is still alive, kicking and screaming, I might add. Now, the kids that I was sitting with were looking at this in wonder, but I know that the ant has an exoskeleton, and the way that the muscles are attached to this animal are the most efficient way of lifting things, and it just makes them more powerful. The muscle goes from here to here or something like that, and this animal can just lift heavy stuff. Big deal, right? It's an ant. Everybody knows this. And these kids were sitting there in wonder with this look on their face like, how can something so small do something so big? And then ask yourself why children resonate with all of the stories where little things do big things. And I'm just sitting here watching them testify before me, the ants. I felt the rebuke of that moment because I, like Gehazi, can live so continuously and so carelessly in the presence of God's power and His grace that even those things can lose their significance. For Gehazi, religion had become a formal affair, fulfilling certain duties which life imposed on him. And since his own life, he knew no deep need of the miracle of grace. He had, in consequence, no real appreciation for the Shunammite's pain. You don't kick away a woman who's pleading for the life of her son. No real compassion for Naaman's situation, his need of mercy. With the woman, Gehazi is dismissive, and with Naaman, he is spiteful of this foreigner who's just going to receive amazing grace. What happens to people? What happens to us when we lose our sense of the miracle of grace that's right around us every day? Well, I know what happens to me. The first thing to go for me is compassion. When I start to lose a grip, a vision on the miracle of God's power and grace, the first thing to go is I lose my sense of compassion for those who are in need. We also lose our sense of God's presence 
It's almost like we do things as though God's not there. He's not watching. To say things like Gehazi said while he's doing the opposite of what he should do is crazy. It's almost like we're functioning like deists. That there is a God, he is real, and I'm all part of this program, but he's not close enough to see what I'm doing or to hear what I'm thinking. So the first thing to go is the compassion. I think the second thing to go is an awareness of God's presence. And the third is a reliance on God's power. And we just try and strategize our own way through. We figure out our own solutions to our problems. Gehazi did not see the value of Naaman returning home. Think about this. He did not see the value of Naaman returning home. A captain in the Syrian army saying these words, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. What would you do for that kind of testimony, that kind of influence, that kind of witness? Wouldn't anyone in the school of the prophets argue and want that kind of thing said more than a chunk of change in a couple changes of clothes? Wouldn't have that have been wonderful? The secret of the miraculous does not lie in having something so unusual happen that it bludgeons our poor, dull senses into seeing it. <laughs> no, the secret of the miraculous lies in the delicate sensitiveness of a soul so responsive to see God's hand at every turning and to stop and marvel at the grace of it. So this story is not as much about uh, offering a threat for all the bad things stirring and brewing in us as it is a promise, if we think of it that way, that what is on the inside will get out. Perhaps the good news is to consider what to do with this truth, that what is stirring in us will be revealed. So what is stirring in us, not just when the music plays or, or when we gather together, but what great glorious moment do we witness on Monday, three o'clock in the afternoon? Because in all of this, there's enough to write a full share of sad stories of warnings and impending brokenness in us. There's a lot of Gehazi, I think, in all of us. But I believe that while Gehazi might reside in us, <laughs> so does the loveliness and the goodness of that little girl who said to her masters, I think I know someone who can help you. Of that sweet voice who says to her captors, I believe that I know someone who might help you with your healing. Surely he will know how to heal you. You put Gehazi and that sweet servant girl on the same stage and you see two different characters, don't you? How many times have children 
like today, interrupted our problems and our problem solving with a message of grace. One of the more popular ones is, is when the car won't start, right? The child says, Daddy, Mommy, did you pray? <laughs> I just call Rob home. I don't pray. Let me call Rob. No, Dad, did you pray? The simple, sweet inquiry rebukes the Gehazi in all of us and awakens in awe and a sense of wonder at God's grace and power. My son Morgan does this to me on a regular basis. Morgan and I are in Montana. We're with the soccer team, and I'm walking across the street with Morgan. We had just had a meal, and he sees a man standing on the street corner holding a sign asking for money. And he sees him before I do, and he runs ahead. And here's what he tells him. My dad will help you. He has money for you. <laughs> and then he just looks expectantly at me. Right here, dad. And then he looks at my pocket as if just, you could just constantly pull stuff out of it. Like an Old Testament story where you just pour oil and it keeps pouring. <laughs> he believes it. He will have a reality check one of these days, but um, in that moment, he interrupts. He interrupts me, my commonplace, and introduces me to the glorious grace of giving, working in the yard. He has a rake and I have a rake, and all of a sudden, he throws his head back, stares at the sky, and shouts, you see, God, I'm doing a good job. <laughs> what a grace, huh? What a reminder that the miraculous is right there before us, that a present, powerful, merciful God is verily upon us. And last night, I come home pretty late. And if you know my son Morgan, he has a variety of struggles. One of them is you can't touch him. I mean, you can, but you can't without him recoiling. You shake his hand, and he just basically pats you and moves along. He does not like to be touched, and he does not like to be hugged. And he does not like to hug. He recoils, something inside him. There's a visceral response, and Morgan looks at me and visibly and awkwardly chokes back his first impulse, and he obeys another one. And he puts his arms around me, and he squeezes me, and I know he hates it, but he loves me more. Children get this. What's on the inside will come out. What's deep within will 
get on the outside, what stirs us in our core will turn to fruit. Good, gracious fruit. Do you believe it? This is what I learned by watching Gehazi. It's in people. The first impulse will teach us. That was about 20 years ago. It was at a national, national spelling bee. A girl named Rosalie Elliott, who is 11 years old, in the fourth round was given a word to spell. The word is a vowel. One word, it means to make a declaration of sorts. You can spell it this way. A-V-O-W-A-L. Or you can spell it this way. A-V-O-W-E-L. So which is it? How many of you think it's A-V-O-W-A-L? Raise your hand. How many of you think it's A-V-O-W-E-L? Raise your hands. How many of you are so scared right now that someone's watching you misspell something on TV? <laughs> That's right. Her problem is, is it doesn't matter how she spells it. She's from South Carolina. And so she began to spell the word. A-V-O-W-A-L. This is the correct spelling, folks. All right? Just so you learned something in church today. All right. But it doesn't matter when you're from South Carolina because your A sounds like an A. But she spelt the word out, A-V-O-A-L. And the judges froze. They looked at each other and started to confer and then they asked her a question. They said, would you please spell it again? This is not a break anyone gets in the National Spelling Bee. She was given a break, a moment. But her first impulse, she takes her hand and slaps it on the front of her head and says, I misspelled it. She lost thousands of dollars. She said, I used an A instead of an A. The judges still didn't know if she misspelt it or not. <laughs> They're still going, just write it down for us, please. No, I misspelled it. I used an A. I should have used an A. <laughs> As she walks off the platform, knowing that she was out. She missed out on a big paycheck. But the crowd stood to their feet and cheered on this integrity that was so remarkable to them that she could have just cheated a little bit. And no one would have known but her. She was asked afterwards, why did you do that? I misspelled it. I'm so embarrassed. Never a thought 
to cheat. Her first impulse bore fruit. What's on the inside gets on the outside eventually, doesn't it? She was offered. There wasn't one university in North America that wouldn't offer that young lady a full scholarship to go to their school. She had many offers. Today, as we are here and we gather, it's time. It's time to just re-examine ourselves. Is it possible that maybe we get into our routine, our sacred things become just so commonplace, they become part of stuff we put on a piece of paper? Are we missing some miracle moments every day? It's likely that if we are, we should pay careful attention to our children. They will teach us, won't they, how to find the grace. What's on the inside will be revealed. It's not a threat, but a promise that grace grows and works its way in and out of us and through us. Today, we're going to celebrate a baptism of a young man, Kalen Brandenburg, who has grown up in this place in the Lord. And I'm telling you, what's on the inside is getting on the outside. And today, the community of faith is going to celebrate his choice as we continue worship singing together.